we just uh, um, finished our summer going through the Psalms, and next week we're going to be starting the book of Ephesians, and I would ask for us as a church to be praying um, for our church, for me, as I'm teaching through the book of Ephesians, but for us as a, as a whole, um, because the book of Ephesians starts off really deep, and um, for how much I love Ephesians, um, I, I just pray that our congregation will be able to uh, embrace and accept and love the, the doctrine that's being taught right off the bat in, uh, in Ephesians. With that said, today we are not going to be starting Ephesians. We're actually going to be doing something a little bit different. And that's because in 2 Timothy 2.2 it says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, there's two things from this passage reason or this verse that I um, wanted to point out. The first thing is this. Just listen how many people are talked about in this one verse. And what you have heard from me, this is Paul talking to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's four different people talked there. There's Paul teaching Timothy to teach men that will be faithful to teach. And that's what we're called to do as a church, because that's the second thing I want to point out. This is a command to Timothy. This is Paul talking to a pastor, to an elder of the church, saying, raise up faithful men who will be able to teach others. In other words, the elders are called to raise up other elders within the church. And we as elders take this calling very seriously. Today we're going to be hearing a sermon from Zach Douglas, who is the director of student ministries here at Country Oaks. Um, But more than that, he's a young man that has a calling on his life to full-time ministry. And so here at Country Oaks, we want to give him experience and opportunities. Um, Right now he's currently in seminary. Um, working on getting biblical knowledge, going to the best seminary on the planet. <laughs> seminary I went to. The Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, but we want to give them opportunities and experiences here. And so with that said, I, I just want to say that's exactly what the church has done for me. Pastor Andy, Pastor Brent raised me up and gave me opportunities here at Country Oaks. You guys raised me up and gave me opportunities here Uh, to grow in my teaching, my understanding of scripture, and uh, to the place where I'm at. And I want to say that Country Oaks is one of the most um, encouraging congregations. As a pastor, I'm blessed to be a part of this church. It's one of the most encouraging congregations um, that's out there. And so I have a charge for you. Encourage Zach and encourage him today as he comes up and gives the word today. So with that, let's start by encouraging him right now. We're going to be going over the lost parables. Not that we have found new parables, uh, but it's the parables of lostness. So if you could open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. So this morning we're going to be looking at the three lost parables. The parable of the uh, sheep, the coin, and the two sons. We'll spend a majority of our time on the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the two sons. But I wanted us... When I chose to talk about the parable of the prodigal son, 
I wanted us to look at the entire context of this parable because, I mean, I've heard this parable hundreds of times. It's one of the most well-known, if not the most well-known, parable in the, out of all of Jesus' parables, and it's actually known as one of the best stories of all time. C.S. Lewis talks about it. I believe Charles Dickens also talks about it in that way. Um, and because of that, we, we kind of lose the context because it's so well-known. So this morning, we're going to be looking at all three of the parables, and then we'll spend the majority of our time on the parable of the two sons. Jesus told these parables in a response to the Pharisees' judgment of him. In Luke 15, 2, it says, And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This was their beef with Jesus. They didn't, they didn't like that he hung out with the outcasts of society, that he ate with them and gave them um, and honored them by spending time with them. Jesus' response is to tell them three parables. The first of these, uh, before we get into it, I actually want to pray. So let's pray real quick. God, thank you for your word um, and for the truths that are in it. I pray that you would speak through me this morning that my words would be your words and that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be uh, acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the first parable is the parable of the lost sheep, and these are told in response to the Pharisees' grumblings and judgment of him. Uh, Luke fifteen three. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Real quick, one thing about sheep, um, and I didn't know this until I studied this parable, but, I mean, I grew up in a, in a kind of a rural area, just like Tatchby. People had llamas, sheep, horses. There's a donkey that's really loud by my parents' house up in Northern California. But we, I didn't really interact with sheep. I fed my neighbors pigs and chickens and stuff. But sheep are kind of foreign to me. I didn't do 4-H. But the sheep, when it's lost, it's not like a dog uh, in, Homeward Bound, in the Homeward Bound movies where they come home from San Francisco. The sheep, when it's lost, will just lay down and give up and accept defeat. I think that's one of the saddest things I've ever heard. It also emphasizes how dumb sheep are. But the, it, it, if you don't know that, this parable, you don't necessarily understand this parable as well as we could. And I, and I definitely revealed things to me about this parable that, I mean, the sheep is lost. It's hopeless. It is going to lay down, give up, and die and Nathan and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago, that the sheep are, are the ultimate illustration for us. That we are dumb and we will just give up if we're left to our lostness. I'm, I'm in a First Testament class and I just went, we're going, uh, we just finished going through Numbers, the Pentateuch. Um, and what, what I always am so shocked by, and granted I, don't, I didn't live this out so it didn't, doesn't seem as long to me, as it did for Israel, but Israel is delivered from Egypt. They're slaves, they're abused, their children are being uh, killed, and then God delivers them with the miraculous ten plagues, and then they're in the wilderness, and they're getting food that they don't really have to work for, the manna. Um, they're with Moses, they're being led by Moses. It's their own fault that they're wandering for 40 years. Um, and at, at multiple points, they say, gosh, if I could just be back in Egypt. If I could just be a slave again, 
and it is just so much better than this free food that I don't have to work for. It is so much better being a slave and whipped and building things than, than just wandering pointlessly in the wilderness. And I think that just, it's just so dumb to me. And I, I didn't live it out. I don't get it. Um, but I know that's us. That when we are lost, we prefer the things that, that are leading us astray than we are, than we are preferring God. And then, then in verse 5, it tells us the, Jesus tells us the end of the parable. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. I have lost many things in my life. Uh, so I get I get what's going on here. Um, I have a dog named Riley. She's a mini Australian Shepherd Husky mix. So she's just a tiny husky. It's adorable. We love her. Um, and when we picked her up from, uh, from the breeder and adopted her, we had my, my brother-in-law, Drew, with us. And so I was on the phone, and we, we got back to our house. We had her for a few hours, and then Craig and Anita were going to pick Drew up. And so I was talking to them on the phone, and I couldn't really hear them, so I stepped outside, and I hadn't had a dog at this point, and I left the door open. And so this skittish little dog just sees an opening and just books it, just right out the door, and I just take off. And unfortunately, uh, Riley and I are the same speed. (laughs) So I was just the same distance behind her. Uh, Luckily, at one point, she went to this corner of this little fence, um, and then, so I go, go to grab her, and she gives me a little head fake, and I just fall, because apparently I'm not as athletic as my dog, and she just takes off and is just gone. I can see her going up Woodford, um, and I lost my dog after four hours with her. Uh, and so on Facebook, my wife and I are just posting, like, if you see our dog, we've only had her for four hours and she's lost, and if you can trust us, please give her back to us. Um, <laughs> and so we didn't get her back until, and then the, the next day, actually, a church, one of our, someone from our church family calls us, and they had Riley. And we were, I mean, we were stoked beyond belief. We were celebrating. Uh, we didn't invite anyone over. It wasn't that big of a deal to us, apparently, as the sheep. Um, but I get it. I get this, the shepherd's deal. And then, the, then it gives us the next parable, the parable of the lost coin. Verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together all her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Like I said, I lost a lot of things. I lose a lot of things. I lost my keys this week. Um, And, I mean, I found them, and it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, I walked into Craig's office. I was like, hey, look, I found my keys. And that was it. I don't necessarily understand why this woman, after one silver coin— is celebrating, but I don't think, for me, I don't, that's not the point. It's the point is that, yes, the silver coin doesn't seem like a big deal, but the, the celebration that comes from the finding of the coin is the point. The celebration that comes from the finding of the coin is the same way that heaven celebrates when a sinner, a lost sinner, repents and comes back to, comes to Jesus. 
that level of extravagant celebration that, that um, we don't necessarily understand with the coin is the level of celebration that happens in heaven. That's the point that Jesus is making, and it's the response to the Pharisees grumbling. Um, in all three of these parables, and as we'll see in the parable of the prodigal son, God celebrates the lost being found. God celebrates what the Pharisees were grumbling and judging Jesus for doing. And it shows just how far away the Pharisees and scribes were from God. How far away they were from the heart of God. That brings us to the parable of the prodigal son. Um, We'll have three points from this parable. We'll look at the, the prodigal son, the older son, and then the third and final point will be with the ending of the parable. Verse 11, Luke 15, verse 11. And there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. I, um, growing up, the focus for me has always been on the parable of the prodigal son. That's Partially, I think that's a majority of that has to do with the headings in, in your Bibles. It always points to the one son who was lost, the prodigal son. Um, but this parable is really about a man who has two sons. It's about a father and his two sons. And this culture, um, as we'll see, is, is all about honor and shame. Your sons and your family can bring you honor or they can bring you shame. What you do either brings you honor or shame, and you do what brings you honor. You don't do anything that brings you shame. You don't do anything that could uh, tarnish your reputation. The younger son has zero disregard, or zero regard for his father's honor. It starts, his, his statement starts out, okay, he says, father, he, he talks to him with the title he should, and then from there it just falls apart. He says, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Basically, he's saying, I wish you were dead, and I want the wealth that will come from your death. I want the money and the the property that comes from you dying. And that word property isn't necessarily just whatever uh, land the father had and whatever he was growing and selling. When he's saying property, he's saying the, the Greek word there means wealth, and goods, essentially it's life. He's not saying that he wants to manage the one-third that the younger son would typically get um, from the father. He's not saying that he's going to want to continue to grow it. He's saying, I want the money. It is mine. Give it to me. And the father does. This is highly shameful and highly offensive for the younger son to be doing this. And the Pharisees would hate the father for rolling over, essentially. To, that's how they would see it. Rolling over and giving him the money. The, the son, um, or the father, should have punished the son. The Pharisees would have wanted to see him slap his son across the face, publicly shame him, and defend his honor. But that's not what the father does. The father rolls over, gives him the money, and lets him just go. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far, a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he, had be, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens 
of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. In a matter of days, the son sells everything that his father had worked hard for, that that his father and probably generations of his family had worked hard for and sold it to get the cash he wants. To do so, you would have to sell it well below value. So he clearly didn't care about anything. He didn't care about the, the, um, his father's honor. He didn't care about the property. He didn't care about anything other than doing what he wanted. And then he, go, he, he went as far away from home. He went to a far country, as far away from home, accountability, his family, and everything as he possibly could. He would have been considered dead to his family, and his family would have been considered dead to him. As language changes, the word prodigal has changed in terms of what it means. Prodigal originally meant rebellious. Now we view it in light of this, of this story, and that's fine. I'm not saying we need to bring back the original meaning of prodigal, but we need to recognize in this culture, this meant that he was rebellious, and the Old Testament law tells us exactly what's supposed to be done to rebellious, to rebellious sons. In Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21, it says, If a man has a stubborn or rebellious son, the younger prodigal son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. According to the law, this is what the younger son deserves. As soon as he asks that question to his father, his father should, one, discipline him. And obviously the, son, the younger son is, is stubborn, so he wouldn't have, have relented, and they would have brought him out into the, into the center of the city, at the city gate, and stoned him for his rebellion. That's what the Pharisees wanted to hear. That's what the Pharisees were expecting when they heard the, the son's question, but that's not what they got, and they would have hated the father because of that. The son wastes everything. Nothing left, spends all of his father's money, all of his, his family's hard-earned money, and it results in starvation and famine. He is fighting pigs for food and losing to the pigs. This is the worst case scenario for a Jewish man. He's in a Gentile country. He has cut himself off from his family, and he's fighting pigs for food. I have fed pigs before. Like I said, my neighbors had pigs, and I would not eat, want to eat what they had. Granted, the food's probably better for them now than it was back then, but in no way, shape, or form have I ever thought, huh, I wonder what pig food tastes like. And I eat Taco Bell. For the son, this is shame beyond comprehension. Everything in this story has been shameful, and this is the worst of it. This is rock bottom. One, one theologian looks at it this way. He sees it as a representation of God giving someone over into their sin that this is ultimately the result of our sin. It's um, that we have rebelled from the one who has given us life. 
We have cut ourselves uh, ourselves off from the one who has given us life, the one who has riches beyond belief, one who has character beyond our comprehension, and have turned to sin in a life of reckless evil that takes us to the brink of death. For a time, the, the younger son probably thought it was great. He had all this money. He had all these seemingly uh, people that seemed like friends, and then it all just went away. And he was fighting pigs for food. Sin leaves the sinner exhausted and hopeless. And the rebellious son had no hope. He had completely disregarded his father's life and cut himself off from his family. He had disregard for anything that, that his family would have done. Uh, his disregard for his family's possessions and squandered it all. There were no jobs, um, and it was the severe famine, and he longed for the food of, of the animal that he was feeding. But that's not the end. Verse 17 tells us, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He came to himself. He came to his senses. And this is an idiom for repentance. We see the son turn away from his his life of uh, disregard and disrespect and shame and, and see the foolishness of it. He see, we see him seeing the foolishness and his mistakes, and he, he's probably thinking, what have I done? What am I doing? Why am I still here when my father has all this money? My father treats his hired men better than anyone else, and hired men aren't employees. They're day workers. They're barely getting by and don't have a consistent flow of income, and that's what the son was going to have to do. According to the law, the son would have to go home um, and work as a, as a hired man in order to pay back everything he had lost. And not the value that he sold it for, but the value that it would have actually carried. This would be decades of hard labor. This formerly son of a wealthy man would have to do decades of a hard labor in order to get by and to even begin to reconcile with his father. He was going to say, treat me as one of your hired servants. Forget that I'm your son, because I'm not anymore. He wouldn't be viewed as a son. He would just be simply another day worker. He had to be really desperate to get to this point. He had to view this as more honorable than what he was doing in order to get to this point. He's not asking for privileges or rights, simply asking to just get by. He wants the father to be merciful enough for him to be a day laborer in order to earn everything, in order to earn back everything he lost. Um, And he wants reconciliation at at all costs, even a life of hard labor. The Pharisees probably thought, this is what he should do. I mean, he should have been stoned, but this is the next best thing. This man who has swine stinking clothes is absolutely disgusting, should crawl back to his father and beg for mercy. He should crawl back to his father and beg for him to be accepted back. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Just like the son's departure, this is given a ton of focus. This is one of the main parts of the story and the Pharisees would have been in utter shock. They would have absolutely hated the father. He should not have reacted this way at all. Everything he does is shameful. He's willing to look for his son. It says that he was a long way off, so the father must have been looking for him. And he's willing to look for his son. That's shameful. He's running. The, the men back then did not run. They would have had to hike up their robes um, in, in order to run. So running was shameful. Embracing his son who smelled like pigs and was covered in, in dirt and mud and everything along those lines, embracing him was shameful. Even listening to his son, if he had done nothing else but listen to his son, that would be shameful. But he clothed him, he threw a party for him, and forgave him without restitution. All of it, shameful. He did not defend his honor whatsoever. And he would have been seen as having no backbone, even though he has forgiven his son by grace. His son didn't have to do anything in order to earn back Uh, in order to earn forgiveness. And the celebration is more than just giving him clothes and and eating food. The attire is, is, the robe is given to the guest of honor, so it's, it's given to someone who deserved it. The son did not. The ring represents the authority of the father, so it's welcoming him back as a son. He can now stamp uh, documents that the father, acting as the father, he can give approval to the things that, without having to consult the father, and then sandals are worn by free men, not slaves. So the father wouldn't, wouldn't have any of the son being a hired man. He is welcoming him back into his family and showing the joy of the lost being found. Later on, we'll see him describe the son as, a, as um, the lost being found, the dead becoming alive. And these are the same descriptions we see of a repentant sinner. And that's what the prodigal son is. He is a repentant sinner. That's what he represents. And so that brings us to our first point. What are you a prodigal about? How are you rebelling from God? Where in in our lives are we turning away from God and pursuing something else? Money, influence, authority, pleasure. What do we need to return from? That's who the prodigal son represents, the repentant sinner. But what about the older son? At this point, we haven't heard anything about him. It's all been the prodigal, or the, the younger son. Um, but in verse 25, we get back to it. Now his older son was dancing in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, uh, and he said to him, the servant said to the son, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, look, 
These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he, he who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Jesus doesn't give us any reason why the, the older son was unaware. It, he doesn't say, oh, the party started too quickly, so the older son didn't know. What I think it is, is that the older son did not have a relationship with his father. The older son didn't care for his father. Regardless of the reason, though, the older son, son was angry when he found out what happened. And the hearers probably expected uh, and agreed with what most of what the son said. It seems fair, totally understandable. I mean, the, the younger son has only brought shame on his family. The older son has been loyal and has worked for his father and is rightfully so, to them, angry about it. He's saying, the, my, this son of yours, not even my brother, he doesn't recognize him as a brother, but this son of yours does not deserve forgiveness. He does not deserve the celebration I do. I have toiled and worked for you, and you didn't do anything for me. You didn't throw me a party. This fattened calf that was being saved up for some sort of celebration, maybe the older son's wedding, has been killed for my son, or for, the, for this son of yours, who has only brought us shame, who is an embarrassment to our family, and you are honoring him with this celebration. This shows us the heart of the older son, that it's bitter towards the father, that it's hardened against the father, and it's probably been, began when the pro- prodigal left and brought shame on the family. The older son clearly has no respect for his father, though. He doesn't even address his father like he should. He says, look, I've been slaving for you. He doesn't say, father, I've worked so hard for you. I deserve some sort of celebration. No, he says, look, you clearly are a fool and don't know what you're doing. This, this man, not even my brother, should be stoned in the, at the city gates, and yet you're throwing this huge celebration for him. You saved him by welcoming him in at way, for when he was way off. You saved him from the public humiliation that at least, at the bare minimum, should have been what he, he got. He views his father as a fool and as, as weak-willed. He has no love or respect. And I don't think it's too far to, of a reach to say that the older son has been waiting for his inheritance in the respectable way. He doesn't care for his father. He probably views him the same way that the, the younger son did, um, but was being respectful and not bringing shame by just simply waiting for him to die. He doesn't view his son or his brother as a brother. Uh, he calls him the son of yours. And he doesn't think he has ever disobeyed his father. He's jealous of what was happening to his brother. He wanted that celebration. He wanted to be uh, celebrated in the same way that his brother, who has only brought shame, is being celebrated. He didn't feel like it was fair, but honestly, he didn't want fairness. As believers, we don't want what's fair because that's what's just. If it was fair, our sin would cause us to be wiped out. God would, it would be totally fair to God, for God to just wipe us out because we rebelled from him. The older son, he didn't want fair. The disrespect that he just showed his father would at least, at the very least, bring, should bring him public mocking and public humiliation. At the very least, 
Potentially, he could be viewed as the Deuteronomy passage and brought into the city square and stoned. The older son doesn't want what's fair. He should want mercy, just like we want mercy. We should want mercy and forgiveness. And that brings us to the second point, the older brother, that being physically close to the father doesn't mean you have a relationship with him. He was physically close to the father. He worked alongside him, but he had no relationship with his dad. He had no respect for and no relationship. And being close to spiritual things does not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Checking off the Christian boxes, uh, going to church on Sunday, reading your Bible in the morning, does not necessarily get you into the kingdom of heaven. A relationship with Jesus gets you into the kingdom of heaven. Repentance gets you into the kingdom of heaven. This older son did not get it. He did not see what his father saw. But the, the father, we see even more of his mercy and grace in his response. Verse 31 says, uh, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that, that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and has found. The Pharisees would have, I mean, it would have been absolutely unbelievable what this father was doing. And he's being celebrated. He is the focal point of this story and is being celebrated for what he's saying and doing. And the Pharisees would have had none of it. They would have hated this as much as everything else that Jesus said. Um, This father did everything wrong. He had no backbone. He was a weak and wimpy father and did not do anything to defend his honor. He only brought shame on himself. But the Father shows us grace. He shows us forgiveness. He says to this older son who has just blatantly disrespected him, he says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. That word technon, which means son in the Greek, or means child in the Greek, is is like dear son. It shows the care and the love that the Father has for the son who has rejected him. It shows that the deep love that he has for him. He's speaking to him intimately, and the son has just does not care. He is just as far off as far off as his brother was. The the father then says that it is fitting to celebrate. It is fitting to celebrate because your brother has returned. Your brother who was dead is alive. He was lost and is found. Other translations say that we had to celebrate. There's no other option. We thought your brother was dead. We thought we'd never see him again. There's no choice but for us to celebrate. The older brother's legalism led to him missing the point. Sure, it's not fair. But we want mercy. He should want mercy. And that's the end of the story. We don't see what the, the brother does, or the, the older son does. We don't get the reconciliation that we typically want. My wife and I love stories with redemption and reconciliation. Uh, we recently watched Remember the Titans. That movie has a ton of re- redemption. We love that movie. And as a society, we like redemption. As believers, we love redemption. One theologian um, gave us a glimpse of the kind of ending that we would want. 
He says, then the bitter son fell on his knees, and this is his creative version of it. Um, Then the elder son fell on his knees before his father and saying, I repent for my bitter, loveless heart, for my hypocritical service, and for my pride and self-righteousness. Forgive me, father. Make me a true son. Take me inside to the feast. Then the father embraced his firstborn son, smothered him with tearful, grateful kisses, took him inside, and seated him alongside his brother in dual seats of honor. They all rejoiced together, and the level of joy that was already amazing suddenly doubled. This would be a night that no one would ever forget. That's the redemption we want. It's nice, tied up in a little bow. Everyone's happy. That's what we want. It's the Disney ending. But that's not the true ending to the story. Each of these characters represents someone, and the older son, because this parable is told for the Pharisees and scribes, they are the older brother. They are the ones who do not truly love the father. They act out the ending. The true ending would be the older son killing the father in front of everyone. It would be the older son murdering the father in front of everyone at the celebration and showing how, how secretly he had hated his father and there was no reason that they should be celebrating. They should not celebrate and the father deserved to die for all the shame that he brought. That's the ending that the Pharisees wrote when they killed Jesus on the cross. When they killed, the, killed Jesus and showed just how little they loved the father. However, we know that's not, that's not the very end of that story. We know that Jesus defeats sin and death, that he's resurrected and he pursues the lost and wants them to be found. That he wants to bring a, the lost, bring us into the celebration, to the banquet table, to clothe us and to welcome us home. That's the point of the parable to celebrate the lost being found, to celebrate the return of those who rejected God, regardless of what they did. And the invitation to the banquet is for everyone. It's not for a select few, it's for everyone. So this morning I ask you, are you in line with the heart of the Father? That should be our goal. Our heart, we should, we should um, strive to have our hearts in line with Jesus that we would celebrate the lost being found, that um, this is where we want to be. Jesus is calling us to celebrate the return of the lost, the dead becoming alive. That's the point of this parable. That's the point of this story, that we should celebrate when someone comes to Jesus. Are you in line with the, heart, with the repentant heart of the prodigal? Come home. Come to Jesus. Or are you in line with the heart of the older brother? If so, seek redemption, seek reconciliation, ask for forgiveness, seek repentance. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for the truths that are in it. I pray that you would shape our hearts to be more like you. I pray that you would shape our hearts so that we would celebrate the lost being found, that we would celebrate when someone returns to you, God. Thank you for the wor- your word and for the mercy and forgiveness that you have shown us. In your name, amen.